Hello, my name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Well, we're going to continue our series on preparing an on-ramp for God. We've been on this for about four and a half months now. And um, it's important that we, we figure out how in the world to make it easy for God to get to us in our time of need and how he can have easy access to us for his purposes in our life, to progress his will in our lives and in the life of our community. So if you'll turn with me over to 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 7, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, preparing an on-ramp for God, recovering your edge. Now the sons of the prophets, verse 1, said to Elisha, Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go, verse 3. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Verse 5, But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Verse 6, Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and it made the iron float. And he said, verse 7, Take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and took it. Lord, help us as we study. Here we've got a scenario where a number of very holy men were gathered together to do something together. The sons of the prophets were a group of men that really Elijah, Elisha's predecessor, had established. Elijah had a heart for the second generation. Uh, we see this evidenced in, Math in Malachi chapter 4 where it says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, uh, I'm going to send, God says, the prophet Elijah before you and he will, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Meaning that Elijah and the spirit of Elijah always has a passion for the next generation to bring conciliation between age groups and let them work together. Why? Because Elijah was the first one to establish a place, at least on record, for prophets to come and be trained, for the young men to come, young women to come, and to understand how to hear God and how to speak on behalf of God. And so they would come to this place and, and they would listen and learn and probably be in school, if you will. It was a prophetic seminary. Well, the, the, the sense of growth in this environment had caused some degree of discomfort because now they had outgrown the place where they had started. And Elisha, being the one who carried on Elijah's ministry, had carried on the ministry of the school of the prophets and had obviously done a really great job. Uh, now they had experienced uh, that, that, that their, their place was too small. And isn't that a little bit like us? I mean, are we not putting up a facility? 
because this building is too small? It's a great problem to have when you have a place that now becomes too small. Why? Because it evidences that you are growing. And anything that is not growing is not surely living as it should and may be dead. If you are not growing spiritually, something is desperately wrong. You can't just be standing in the same spot. You cannot surely be moving backwards. We have a term for that spiritually called backsliding. You're going the wrong way. And generally speaking, if you are stagnant, the forces and currents of the world are pulling you in some direction. And there has to be some intentionality on your part to say, I am not going to go that way. And you need to begin to make movement toward God. And indeed, these people were growing. Something was happening in the nation. Even though the, the, the monarchy wasn't as it should be, there was an undercurrent of spiritual life. And indeed, we have, we have a situation in our country. And in many, case, many, many cases, you could say, in, in area neighborhoods and in governments around uh, uh, the, the country, where our government is not necessarily for us. In fact, they think we are basically irrelevant and maybe, maybe unnecessary. And so, but, but, but it doesn't mean that God isn't doing something really special with us. And there is an undercurrent of growth spiritually. It's not reported in the post. You won't see it on CNN. Huffington Post has nothing about it. But God is doing something among his people. I realize that there are those out there that don't get it who are spiritually in charge of a group called the church. And they are leading them the wrong direction. I get that. And sometimes there are large groups of those folks that take the headlines. But there is an undercurrent of spiritual vitality that is being apprehended by those who love God most. They are not just standing in one spot. They are definitely not going back. They are doing all they can to see God glorified in their world and the world. Sons of the prophets. Oh, you may not be a prophet, but you live in a prophetic community. That's what we are. A people that are trying to figure out how to hear God for this community and bring him relevantly to their lives so that they can repent and know him and fulfill their purpose on the planet. Sons of the prophets. Well, good thing is we're finding that our place is too small. We started this construction project six years ago. Six. Six. Yeah. If I'd gotten a loan, we'd be in it by now. It takes about three to three and a half years to, to go from the beginning of a construction project, meaning the, the raising of the funds all the way to occupation. And by the time we get in there, it's almost going to be double that amount. But we will have no debt. Oh, thanks be to God. And I don't know what is coming in our community that, that inspired me from the Spirit to not take debt. We have, we have a loan on this building. I'm not against debt. It's not best, but I'm not against it. But I knew that we shouldn't get into deeper debt. And, 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 and we are posturing ourselves in order to be a blessing to, to the community. Yes, it takes longer. Yes, it's more laborious. Yes, it's somewhat frustrating. And yes, you hear me talking about our building 
for the last six years. <laughs> but for the balance of our existence as I am pastor, we will not have to have $80,000 going to a note every month. That's a good thing. More money to spend on missions, the poor, orphanages, the homeless, kids that have no opportunity or little opportunity in our community, helping ministries be established that fix marriages and families. Resources can go toward ministry. Six years ago, we realized that the place for us is just too small. And so I want to talk to you about three things related to this passage. One, they requested to build. Two, they requested Elisha's presence, which represented the presence of God in the earth. And three, it required spiritual men to wield tools in order to build axes. One, they requested to build. You know, it's significant here that the men, the people in the congregation, if you will, the sons of the prophets, came to Elisha and said, did you realize that we're sleeping on top of one another? Yeah, we got bunk beds every place, but now it's two to a bunk. and it, it, It's just not a good thing. Folks are on the floor. People are sleeping straight up in closets. Can you fix this, please? The place is just too small. We got people standing up in our classrooms because there are no seats. We need a bigger spot. It's interesting that Elisha didn't come to this on his own. That his people came to him and said this thing needed to go. And I can almost understand a building project is wonderful for all the people who occupy. When they get into the facility, yes, hallelujah, there's a big shout moment to God. For the pastor who had to guide the process, it's one of these. I don't know any pastor that is excited about taking on another building project. None. This is my fourth in which I participated in this church. Four. Some of them we didn't ever complete, but we began the process of raising funds and generating the faith necessary for us to progress. It's, it's, it's not easy not complaining. I like my problems. I like my problems. I'm just letting you know that this is probably the reason why Elisha didn't have it first. Although he probably knew it. He was a prophet. He knew it's just always tough to get into a building project. And his people had to come to him and say, we can't stay here anymore. But the way they came to him was, was almost not just a sense of urgency, but expectation and excitement. They realized that they didn't have room, but they came to him. And the term there that, that, that is used in the Hebrew is the term na, which represents the word please, N-A, na. And it, it also means to beg. Elisha, we beg you. Can we please build another facility? <laughs> oh, gosh. And it's not just that they came begging, looking at the need. They came begging, saying, let us participate. They knew that they were going to have to wield axes. They knew it was going to take a lot of work for them. But they came begging, saying, can we do this for God? Can we? Oh, that I wish everybody in this congregation who call themselves sons of this house 
would beg for the opportunity to participate in the building not only of our facility, but the building of the house. See, the church is much more than just an erected uh, uh, physical building. The church is people. The building is just a suit. We call it church because we don't know how to identify it in any other way that allows us to feel like spiritual things are happening in this building differently than they happen in any other. So I'm not mad at people for calling a building church. But hear me, it should not replace the real definition. We, the people, are the church. And I would love it if everybody came knocking on my email door saying, Pastor, what might I do to help build more room for more people? What can I do to supply so that we can grow? I want to build this house. Oh, that I would have Elisha's problems. Now, having said that, I do. I got a lot of people who are excited about this, man. I mean, they are fist pumping happy. Cannot believe that they are privileged to be a part of this house and get to make a little bit of Chantilly history. I don't know that we will make any, any history beyond our local community. We're going to try. We're going to really try hard. But at least we'll make some here. And they are excited about it. They wake up thinking about what they can do to help this house. I'm begging that that becomes you. If you don't fit in that category, I'm begging that that becomes you. That you would come to Elisha and say, hey, please, I beg you, let me help build. Secondly, they requested that Elisha participate with them. (laughs) And it says that one guy... One man came and said, Elisha, will you please go with us? Will you go with us? Somebody had the the presence of mind to realize it's not just enough to do something for God, but you actually need to have him with you when you do it. That That really helps. No, kudos. I salute all of those people who are doing great things for God. But to have him with you as you do it, to request his presence. Now, we know Elisha was not God. I'm not saying that. But he represented the presence of God in the earth. He was the tangible feel for what God wanted to do. He was that person that spoke his words. He was the prophet to the nation. And so as they were inviting him into the building process, they were inviting God into the building process. And I'm so grateful for this one guy. It says one man stood up and said, will you please come with us? He didn't ask him to work. He just said, accompany us as much as I want. All 4,000 folks that call Grace Covenant home to beg to be a part of the building process. What I want even more is that they would beg to have the presence of God accompany them in it. Lord, I don't want to go up without you. This is what Moses said. The people of Israel had made God not very happy. They had done some stuff they shouldn't have done. 
And God said, I want you to know, you can go on up into the promised land if you want, but I'm sending my angel. I'm not going. I might kill him on the way. I'm not going. I'm so angry with him. And Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't let us go. Oh, it wasn't enough just to accomplish the task of acquiring the promised land. It wasn't enough just to lead the people to their purpose. Moses realized how important it was to have presence, not just promise. I want the promises of God to be effectual for us. I want them to be realized for us. I really do. I want us to come into everything he has designed for us. But I don't want to do it without him. And I don't want to assume that simply because we are being as obedient as we know how to be, that somehow he's going to accompany us. I want to ask, will you come with us? And the beautiful thing was, it's almost as if Elisha was waiting for this. Yes, I shall come. I will come. When God is requested, when he's desired by his people, I can't find a passage in scripture where he says no. (laughs) I can find a whole lot of times when he just doesn't show because folk didn't invite him. There may be prerequisites to his attendance. Yeah, you got to get rid of that, got to get rid of that. If you change that, if you distance yourself from that, then I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. 1 Corinthians 6, we can't carry along sin in our life and expect God to accompany us, accompany us in everything we do. So there are conditions. But I can't remember when a right people asked a holy God, would you come with us? Where he said, no. He needs to be invited. You want him in your family? Invite him. You want him in your marriage? Husbands and wives, sit down. Pray together and invite him. You want him in your relationships, your friendships? Sit down with a friend and invite him. You want him in your business? Invite him. Will you come with us, please? And the word there again is beg. Nah, in Hebrew, beg. It wasn't just a, a, a passive request. It wasn't an afterthought. It was one guy who realized, we're going out here to do something for God, but I don't just want to do it without, without God's presence. Elisha, I know, I know you got a lot to do. I know you're busy. <laughs> there, there can't be any more, any more busy spiritual man on the planet than the prophet of God for a nation. I get that, but I am begging you don't depart from us in this endeavor come with us there is a pleading and it's not just a perfunctory ask we're not talking about just a glib invitation we're talking about oh god come with us an intercession that says we can't do this without you we want you more than the goal Our achievements mean nothing if we can't do it with you by our side. We don't want to wind up at the destiny point alone. We need you with us. We beg you. And I don't know what begging looks like in your life, but I probably think it looks a little bit different than, please come with us. Whatever it looks like, do that. 
to get God into your whatever. And then we've got some very spiritual men wielding unspiritual things, axes. It required that the sons of the prophet work to make this thing happen. Oh, if we're going to build something for God here in the city, if we're going to build a people, it's going to require that you work, not just me. I have a pretty, pretty good work ethic, I think. I'm not lazy. In fact, I usually have to throttle it back because I get really excited with productivity. And there's something on the inside of me that loves to cram as much into a 24-hour period as possible. And then at the end of the day, I feel this sense of accomplishment that's rare, thinking, I did it. Thank you, Lord, I did it. And although that kind of gets my adrenaline flowing, I've determined at 54 it's not the healthiest way to do ministry. And so I'm trying to throttle life back so I can be here for a long time doing ministry and not flame out. I think I have a pretty good work ethic. But the church is the one that has to construct. The church is the one that has to build. It's not just Elisha. The sons of the church have to begin to work and do, do stuff that maybe you're not as skilled as you would like to be. <laughs> Interesting, this week, you know, it's gardening season for me again. Yeah, yeah. I love my wife. <laughs> uh, so I'm out there digging one shovel full of dirt after another. Planting, pulling up weeds, cultivating the soil, bringing in new dirt. Oh, it takes about a week worth of work. And I realized that my, my garden's probably not going to grow unless I do some other stuff because there were trees that had grown up over the years around my garden. And provided more shade than uh, was, was really allowable for proper production. And so I needed to cut down some trees. Now the trees about which I needed to cut weren't little trees. We're not talking saplings. Some of them were 15 to 18 inches in diameter. And uh, some of them, the smaller ones that we cut down, were anywhere from 8 to 10 inches in di diameter. Now, I... I, I I contracted with a guy to come and do it, but he didn't show. And so I needed this done. Now, as you know, I am, I am mechanically challenged. And I, there's some stuff I'm just smart enough to know not to trust myself with. And so I did not use a chainsaw. And everybody said, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> I didn't use a chainsaw. No telling what I would have cut. Well, instead I went out and bought an axe. And some of you said, that's not any better, Pastor. That is not any better. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I bought one. And I, I said, I'm going to start just swinging at some trees. I took my boys out there with me. And we started cutting down trees. Oh, I wasn't good at this. Didn't know exactly how to do it. But, but once I got into it, I realized really how good I was not at this. And my esteem for, for fellows who made a living doing this, Axemen, just went so high. I thought, gosh, these guys have to be in shape. This takes for 
ever. Blisters on the hands, shoulders, back, hips, just pow, pow, pow. And you're at an angle that's, that's not conducive for most power because you're, you're, you're trying to get as low as possible to the ground so that you don't have a huge stump sticking up out of the ground once you finish fell in the tree. And so you're hitting it probably four to five inches above dirt. And so you're leaning over doing it. And after you strike that thing about 20 times, I mean, you are just wasted. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm in shape. I mean, I, I, I do some stuff to buffet my body and make it my slave. I know what it means to get tired and sweat. I am in shape. I was whipped. After, I mean whipped. And my 20-year-olds were out there. And they were lying out on the ground. Ah, and could barely get up the next morning. It is hard trying to fell trees with an axe. But we did it. We didn't get the big ones, you know, the 15, 18 inch. We got the 8 to, to 10 inches one. And, and, but it, it took about 20, 30 minutes per tree. This, what these, this is what these guys were doing. Now, they had to be me because they were prophets. They, they were not axemen. They weren't tree fellers. They were just guys who were getting a seminary degree. Which helps you understand why the guy who lost his axe head had borrowed it. Because he probably didn't own one. Why would he need to? He was a preacher. He wasn't a, a woodsman. And so he borrowed an axe in order to, to go out and do this thing. And as he's out there swinging away at some tree, he's using all his might, probably doesn't have the proper technique like me, and all of a sudden gets a little bit more leverage than he should, and the axe head just flies off the handle and winds up in the pond, in the lake. And he's thinking to himself, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now, an axe over at Home Depot, a good one, a three to five pound axe will cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 25 to 50 bucks. It's a good one. But remember, these are mass produced axes. And, and they aren't near as valuable as a chainsaw. And so you can probably get them cheaper today because nobody's. Last I heard, they haven't had a run on axes any place. Yeah, there's a plethora of them over at Lowe's and Home Depot. Most people use a chainsaw. They didn't have chainsaws back then, and all the axe heads that were made back then were made by hand, forged from metal, derived from the ground, and, and dross picked off. And the right, it took a craftsman in order to produce an axe head. And the equivalent value was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to $200 for a really good axe head. Now, you could get a piece of wood that could fit in the axe head. That wasn't a problem. But the axe head itself, probably equivalent value, $100 to $200. So when a brother lost an axe head, he lost something. He, he looks at Elisha and he says, Oh, my goodness, my axe head fell in the water. What am I to do? It was borrowed. Elisha says, where did it fall? Now, let me help you with something here. I'm going to metaphorically bring some things out. 
And although they, they, they may not be the original intent of, of the story, they have application to us. And you have to always look at Scripture and say, why is this story in here? What spiritual benefit that does this provide for me, for anybody who would have read it? An axe head fell off a, a handle and, okay, a miracle happened. That was really neat, so we needed to record that. But why in the world would the power of God be utilized for an axe head and then recorded in the annals of Holy Writ for all time? Why? Couldn't they just go buy another one? What is the spiritual purpose and application for this story. Well, sometimes as we're working for God, we can lose our cutting edge. Sometimes as we're doing some good things for Him, we can lose our sharpness. We're out there working hard, trying to obey, doing what we can, but we aren't spending near as much time in the Word as, as we should because we're doing something for God and somehow we replace the, the activity. We replace the, the word time with the activity. And we think that somehow because we're spiritually involved that we're still in the kind of commun communion with God and fellowship that is going to keep us sustained. But there's no amount of activity that can replace spending time in the word. Understanding your purpose and calling, letting God speak to you. Absolutely critical that you do not lose your cutting edge. And all of us need to have one. Some of you have never had one. You've never wielded an axe for the kingdom ever. And losing our cutting edge means losing our focus to do something great for God and allowing our swings to have maximum impact in the lives of people. That when we take a cut at something, whether it be evangelism in somebody's life who needs to be saved, or whether it be the word of the Lord prophetically, or whether it be wisdom that we are wielding for somebody's benefit. When we take one cut, it cuts deeper into the trunk of that tree than any other because our axe head is sharp. It's not dull. And a dull axe head requires more blows, Proverbs says, but a sharp one fewer. And our axe head not only needs to be kept, but kept sharp. Some of you have never ever wielded an axe. I'm asking you, pick up an axe. Do something. Oh, please. I'm talking spiritually, not naturally. Pick up a spiritual axe and allow God to give you the privilege of what it feels like to get it sharpened so that when you rear back, you can wield that thing swinging and it will cut deep into whatever you're targeting. This fellow lost his axe head, and when you lose your axe head, you can't, you can't, you can't cut anymore. And the beauty is this, it can be recovered. Elijah said, where did it fall? Oh, you need to find out where it fell off. If you have wielded it before, you need to find out where it fell off. What was the place? Where was the place in which you lost it? Was it, was it your devotional life? Was it your prayer life? You stopped coming to prayer meetings? You stopped coming to 715? You stopped coming to church? You stopped talking to God? Where did you lose it? You need to go to the place where you lost it because that's where it can be found again. And maybe you've got multiple places where you lost it. Go to all of them, repent, and say, God, restore to me my cutting edge again. Let me have a love for you that I had lost. 
Restore to me my passion for your kingdom again, oh my God. Do something in my life today that makes me effective in ministry once again. And then he says, it says that Elisha went out and got a, got a stick and threw it in. It's not just enough to know where you lost it. You've got to have something that pulls it back up. <laughs> and there's something special about the stick of the cross. Oh, my goodness, when you throw that cross into the pond in which your axe head was lost, the, tr- the cross is attractive to the axe head. When you develop a passion for the cross again, that sharpness comes back to you in a hurry. Now it's all based on what I can sacrifice for the benefit of the world. What Jesus Christ did for me, I now can do for others. I'm going to pick up my cross daily and follow him. I'm not going to become comfortable anymore. I'm not going to become at ease. I'm going to have a sharpness about me. The axe head magnetically flows back to the cross. Pick up your cross and throw it in your life. Throw the cross in your life. And the axe head floated. And he said to the man who lost it here, I'm begging you, help us. Notice that there is a place that needs to be built for us because this one's too small. And bring more people. Find more people. Use the axe to wield the word of God well. And seeing folks impacted for the glory of God. Allow this house to become something different. Let's pray.